and into bright lights, but I'm sure that you look great. Just give me a second while I take my <clears throat> iPad off airplane mode so no one phones me while I'm preaching. It's happened a few times. God's good. Oh, am I, am I incorrect? Fix me up. Bud. Is that better? There you go. Oh, all right. Thank you, Noah. Can we give Noah a hand? Yay, Noah. Yay, Noah. Good morning, all. It's good to see you guys. It's good to have everyone here. And for all those that are watching online, it's wonderful to know that you are there. And um, you guys well this morning? Yes, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to just jump right in. But um, it would be great if someone could come pray for me. Uh, Aaron, why don't you come pray for the Word? That'll be great. This is a man of God. His name is Aaron, Moses' brother. He's aged very well. The anointing runs down my beard. It's amazing. <laughs> help us, Jesus. Yes, help us, Father. Father, thank you for this man. Lord, we just ask for your, your blessing to rest upon him. That your anointing just to teach would rest upon him, Father. Lord, let him just thank you for this life surrendered, that the words that he will speak are yours. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Aaron. Helpful. So, Easter's coming, and uh, I thought, you know, I was just praying about it, and the Lord put it in my heart to speak about the blood of Jesus. And, you know, it's a subject or a topic that is probably the greatest mystery in the universe, but it has the most power in the universe, the blood. And so often on Easter, it, it makes its mention but then, you know, for the rest of the year, people don't always focus on it. And it is something that has become a profound revelation to me just in the last two years. And it's changed quite a few things in my life. And so I thought we would just start and do a study a little bit, a little bit of study, some preaching, but some study on the blood. And because I believe in the coming days, can I say first world believers are not well equipped in the things that they need to be well equipped in, things like the blood, when warfare comes, when issues arise, when things fall apart, and, you know, we, put, we kind of put God on trial when life is not going well. And, you know, it's, that was Greek mythology, by the way, Roman mythology. Whenever life wasn't going well, they put it on the gods. But Christians often do the same. They blame God, get offended at God, get upset at God. But He's given us His Word, and He's given us His life, and He's given us His power, and He's given us His blood, and it all lays right here. Yeah? So, we're going to look at the precious blood of Jesus, and it's probably going to take a few weeks. I'm going to give you what they call, a little bit of what they call bluff, bottom line up front in the business world today, and then start a, start a bit of an outline and a bit of study so the scripture in 1 Peter 1, I don't think it's going to come up behind me, but if I can find it quickly, I want to read to you uh, what the scripture says about the blood of Jesus. It calls the blood of Jesus precious, and it doesn't call any other blood precious. I'm going to read it to you. It says, 1 Peter 1 verse 17, for those who take notes, and if you call, sorry, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, 
Conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed, how's this, with corruptible things like silver or gold. Redeemed means to purchase. You were purchased, but not with anything that is of this world, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct. It's a, you know, I love sometimes the way they write. You know, he's describing people that don't know the Lord, and he says, from your aimless conduct. You know, it wouldn't go down to well today in the world that everyone is offended if you look at them wrong. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with, you were redeemed with what? With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he was indeed, he indeed was foredained before the foundation of the world, but it was manifest in these last times for you, for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So the blood of Jesus is something very precious, and sometimes when we have something precious, the only way that we know that it's precious is to live without it, like water like food. And without the blood of Jesus, we would not be here. And so we're going to look at Leviticus. We're going to start at Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus is a wonderful book in the Bible. It's not something you read just when you need to sleep. It can work for that. It can. But Leviticus 17.11, there's this one sentence, this one scripture that we're going to unpack for a little bit, then we'll get into some other things that is absolutely profound. And it says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Can we say this together? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar, don't stop, to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. That one verse is astounding. And we're going to look at it a little bit. You may ask, what's precious? What, you know, the precious blood of Jesus here, it's talking about other blood, but the blood in general, the blood, that phrase, the blood, is through every covenant in the Bible. And what is so, what is blood? Well, it's water, iron, phosphorus, calcium, and odd trace metals. If you were of this earth, if you were natural in your mind, that's what blood is. But there's a better question. What is life? The life of the flesh is in the blood. We could say what is blood, but what is life? If you ask any scientist, a clever scientist, actually a clever scientist, not just one who professes to be brilliant, and you ask them, where does life come from? You'll find that they do not know. Nobody knows. Where does life come from? Vitality, energy. Living beings, authority, power. Where does life come from? They used to say back in the, I think it was the 50s and 60s, they used to say it came floating down from the cosmos. A ball of energy, a ball of light, a ball of some sort of vitality. Okay, great. Where did that come from? Where does life come from? Life itself. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So where does life come from? They know. If you're watching online, they made a big noise. 
Where does life come from? Well, we know. Genesis 2.7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God put life in man. He put the life there. No one else. God, he put life. And when a person dies on this earth, that life goes back to God because it's never wasted. Have you ever seen that when they breathe? That last breath, <laughs> that life goes back to him. God put the breath of life in man. So where does life come from? Well, life comes from God. For the life of the flesh, you're going to hear this verse many times today. And I pray that you get revelation. I do pray that you get revelation. Because Jesus is longing to actually have people receive revelation. It's not something you'll have to fight for about his blood because it cost him everything. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Let's look at these words. The word life is the Hebrew word nefesh. Nefesh, basar kafar nefesh. Life, flesh, atonement, and soul. You'll notice that the word life and soul are the same word. Do you see that? Nefesh. Life and soul, same word. What does atonement mean? Some people say at one meant, to be put at one with. But it actually means, which it does, but that's the effect of it. It means to cover. It means to cover. So, you could read it like this. For the soul, or life, the soul of the flesh is in the blood. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that covers makes a covering for the soul. So who put the life there? God. For the soul, the life of the flesh, the life, the, vital, the life of the flesh is in the blood. If you bleed out, you die, but not just physically, also spiritually. That word life is the word nefesh. It's the same word as soul. In Isaiah 53, when it talks about Jesus on the cross, it says he poured out his soul unto death. His life. Why? Because he gave it to you. It's called eternal life. Hello. It says here, so you can say it this way, the soul of the flesh is in the blood, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So the soul of the flesh is in the blood, but our soul, our soul, yes, given by God, cannot cover or make atonement for our soul. The life of the flesh, the life, where does life come from God, is in the blood. And I've given it, what? The blood. I've given it to you upon the altar to make a covering, to make atonement for sin, for the soul. But it actually says the soul of the flesh is in the, and I've, so your soul to cover the soul. It, our soul cannot make atonement or cover our own soul. And you know what? My soul cannot make atonement or cover your soul. Why? Because it was corrupted through something called sin. When they sinned in the garden, it became corrupted. I'll read it this way. The soul of the flesh is in the blood, but our soul cannot cover, make atonement for our own soul or even another soul. It has been infected with a disease called sin. Let's call that sin self-life. Can we do that together? Can you say self-life? Because when they sinned in the garden, you've heard me say it before, what was born? Self. Everything revolved around self. 
and the life that God had given man, we still are alive. We still physically live, but the life of God was altered. Something changed, life. And it went from God life to self-life. So you're still alive. That's why in the Bible it says in Romans 8, when you get saved, he will give life to your mortal flesh. Your mortal flesh is alive, but it's missing life. Hello? So he says, I will put life back when you get saved. So, the self-life is no longer God life. (laughs) And it's not the same because fellowship was cut off with God and that's where life comes from. Are you with me? I know this is a study, but it's a good study. The same life was in Christ when he came. What does the scripture say? In him was life. John 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him was in Christ, in his incarnation when he came. In him, in Jesus Christ, was life. And it was not a corrupted life. It was vitality. It was God life. In him was life, and that life was to bring light, was the light of men, of mankind. It says, but they couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. So where has God given this life to us? Well, let's read it again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it, what? The blood, in which is life. I've given it to you where? Upon the altar, to make a covering, to make an atonement for the soul. So God has given the blood to mankind on the altar. You know that that's never changed, even though we don't do sacrifices today. In the Old Testament, it was on the altar of sacrifice. He gave them a covering by blood on the altar. There must be blood for there to cover sin. Why? Because sin came into man in the garden and affected God life in a sense and made it self-life and they were, they were still alive, but it says they died. It says if you do this, you'll die. Physically alive, but dead in trespasses and sins. And so Christ must come with God life, but until that time, he has to give something to atone, to cover man. So why? Because we have to understand the heart of God. Because he loves you. God loves people. He wants to be around his creation. He wants to be with you. So, and he cannot fellowship with where there is sin. So he puts something in the earth. Blood. I will put... I will put the life of the flesh is in the blood. I must make a way for them to atone until my son comes. Why? So that I can have fellowship with him even in that covenant. Because he wants to be with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. It's called good news. So he says, I've given it to you upon the altar. In the Old Testament, it was the altar of sacrifice. In the New Testament, it was the altar of the cross of Jesus Christ. Still sacrifice. It is upon the cross, and he came with what? Life. What did Jesus say in John 10? I've come to give you death? No, I've come to give you life, and life abundantly, or life to the full. I've come to give it to you, but where can I give it to you? On the altar, by my blood. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you, mankind, upon the altar. I must be sacrificed on the altar so that the God life in Christ 
can go to you. He came with life to give, and He gave it to you upon the cross, because the life is where? In the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. What was Jesus called in John 1? He was the Word made flesh. I feel the revelation coming to some people. He was the Word made flesh, and the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is why we've sung songs. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Why? Because the life, the power of eternal God, the power of God, the omnipotence of God, the power of God was in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. There's a quote. I found this quote in my notes, so I'm not sure where it comes from, but it's good. And I'm, so I just don't know who said it. The soul, uh, this is from my notes years ago, or the soul or life is in the blood. Therefore, the value, is this behind us? Yeah. Behind me, not you. Therefore, the value of the blood corresponds to the value of the life that is in it. The life of a sheep or goat is less value than the life of an ox. And so the blood of a sheep or a goat in an offering is of less value than the blood of an ox. The life of man is more valuable than that of many sheep or oxen. And now who can tell the value or the power of the blood of Jesus? In that blood dwelt the soul of the Holy Son of God. The eternal life of Godhead was carried around in that blood. The power of that blood in its diverse effects is nothing less than the eternal power of God Himself. What a glorious thought for everyone who desires to experience the full power of the blood of Jesus. Friends, a little while ago, as I said, the Lord revealed this to me freshly, the power in the blood of Jesus. And it, it's something started to rise up, authority that I hadn't known started to rise up inside of me. And I realized that there's power just laying around in a sense, waiting to be used, and that you access it by the, under, by the blood, revelation of the blood. The fearlessness of evil came over me. Sickness, sin, demon, demons, doesn't matter, because the blood answers them all. Something just began to change inside of me, and I began to look for people to lay hands on and to pray on. Nothing to do with me. Prayed for a young man up front a little while ago. He came, his knee was all swollen. They were sucking juice out of it, uh, water, not juice, orange juice, no. Every week, and you know, people have these long fancy prayers, and it's just, I put the blood of Jesus on this knee, amen, that's it. He comes back the next week, his knee is stronger than the other one. He's been to the doctor because of the blood. The blood. There's something about the blood of Jesus Christ that people, as God's people, we need to grab a hold of. We need to relearn it. We need to remember it. We need to revalue it. We need to, it's the age-old truth. I said for years it's, uh, let me maybe read it to you. Those who walk with the Lord in such a way that changes their region, their nation, their generation, are often not those who walk with a profound intellectual understanding of complicated truths we can find in God's Word. Some do. C.S. Lewis 
guys like that, that's great, brilliant people. But rather, mostly, it's those who have a profound revelation of the basics that many believers think we know, so we just gloss over it. They have a profound revelation of the basics, like the blood, like the name of Jesus, a profound revelation of something very simple. And it's like, you know, the best fighters in the world, let's say are people that they, have, they can do one thing or two things better than anybody else. They don't know all the fancy tricks. They can just do one or two things. And they know how to take that person, whoever that person is, and put them in a position where they can now execute this one move. And they do it over and over and over, and they, that's how they win. We get so wrapped around the high theological, and it's good, I love the Word of God, but a profound revelation of something simple, like the blood of Jesus. Where does the power in the blood lie? Why does it have such power? It's a great question. I believe it lies in legal power. All the lawyers are going, I told you. I told you, lawyers, go to heaven. No. The power in the blood lies in legal power. It's the authority that the blood has in the high court of heaven. It's not some magical ability. People pray and speak about the blood of Jesus when they're afraid or it's like, you know, we don't understand it because it's not physics. So we, we just kind of say, like, you just kind of throw it out there. Like it's got some nebulous, some magical. No, no, it's in the authority that it has in the high court, which is a real court, with a judge, with an advocate. Jesus is your advocate. There's a real court in heaven, and in that court, the blood speaks. And in that court, the blood lives. And in that court, the blood has power. And in that court, the blood has never changed. That's what gives it power. And your advocate also turns around and sits down in the witness stand because he is an eyewitness. Because he was there when the blood was given because it was his blood. And the blood of, of Jesus speaks better. Hebrews 12, 24, it speaks bled, better than the blood of Abel. Why does it say that? And we're going to get into some of these. I said, bottom line up front. We'll go over some of these in the coming weeks. Why does it speak better than the blood of Abel? Because the blood of Abel, he was already born a sinner because sin had already happened. Hello? So he had self-life. Alive, but self-life. And so the, his blood, because he was the first person in God's image, murdered, innocent blood, by his own brother. So he was murdered. So God said his blood cries out from the ground. What? Cries revenge. Why? Because it's from the perspective of a person with self-life. It's from the perspective of someone on the earth. Revenge. I was hurt. I need revenge. But in the high court of heaven, the blood of Jesus cries out. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks redemption. Why? Because it's from God's perspective. It's with God life. And it speaks a better word than that of the blood of Abel. It cries out redemption. <sighs> I think you can tell I'm excited about this. Friends, we've sung it many times. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. 
But has there been power in the blood for you? <laughs> I hope so, because it, it just lays there, waiting, wondering. Somebody asked this question, these three questions. Why does the blood have power? What has the blood accomplished? And how, how is we, as believers, how can we experience the reality of those powers in our life? Those are three great questions. We're going to look at that for the next few weeks, but not today. People are like, really? Those are great questions. They are. But today, we are going to take time, <clears throat> and we're going to do a little study. And we're all excited about it, right? Yes, yes thank goodness, because we just love the Bible. You know, I'll say this, nothing I will say today will help you if you don't believe that this is the eternal Word of God. Because, you know, my older sister asked me once, she said, what is the single greatest thing that has helped you more than anything else, decision or truth or revelation? I said, just maybe being raised in a Christian home, I don't know what's from, but an absolute something in my heart knowing that this is truth, 100%. And not question, if I question anything in this, I have nothing to stand on. Nothing. Nothing. So, we are going to look at a phrase today in this great thing called the precious blood of Jesus. Not without blood. That phrase, not without blood. We're going to look at the blood in the Old Testament what Jesus said concerning blood, and what the Holy Spirit said through the apostles concerning blood. So we're going to go through the whole Bible. So we're not going to get done, probably, knowing myself. But let's start. The significance of the blood in the Old Testament. We're going to read. If you have, here's a physical Bible. Can you lift your Bible up if you have a physical Bible. Okay, open that Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 9, please. And we're going to read. People say, I thought we're starting in the Old Testament. We're going to the New Testament. Well, it's speaking about the Old Testament. Okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Then indeed, actually, I'll give you guys a moment. I hear the pages sped up all of a sudden. He's already starting to read. Verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant, that's with Moses, had ordinances of divine service and and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand. Now, in the tabernacle, you had the outer court, the inner court, and the, you know, the holy place, the most holy place. So now it's talking about the holy place when you walk in. That's the first part. In which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, and we could teach about all these things, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. It's also called the most holy, most holy place, right? You all with me? Okay. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in great detail. See, it's like I just said. We could talk about this. So I understand how he felt. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. What's the phrase? Not without blood. Let me say this to you. What this, some of you may not 
have studied or understand, or and I don't say that in, in any way to speak down to anyone, but words like the anointing and glory, that may not be in your vocabulary as much as it is in some others. But for those who know and understand about the anointing, what the anointing is to oil, the anointing is God working with man, God upon them. Anointing means to smear. It says what? He walked past that. You know the lampstand in the most holy place with the oil and the, the, the menorah, the can, that stands for the anointing, the oil, the anointing, the gifts, the call of God, the anointing on your life. What anointing is to oil and gifts, the blood is to the glory of God. The glory, it says, was in the most holy place. That's much more than what God can do with a very anointed person. That's God in the building. And I know He's here now, but you understand what I mean. Manifest true power. No man standing up. Glory of God comes. No one preaching. No, the glory of God where the priests couldn't stand to minister in the temple. God comes down. What the anointing, and we all love anointing, right? We all, I want to know my gifts. I want to know my call. I want to work, and I want God. That's awesome. Go for it. But if you notice, he walked right past the anointing, and to get into glory, not without blood. The glory is beyond anointing but not without blood. <laughs> Sometimes we need to walk past the anointing, anything to do with us, and ask God, show me glory while it's in the revelation of the blood of Jesus. Hello? I hope to be wetting your appetite today. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. In other words, when Jesus came, comes, that's, that'll be it. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service, that's the priest, perfect in regard to his conscience, because only the blood of Jesus can do that, not the blood of bulls and goats. Actually, I think it says that next. Concerned with only food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Where is that tabernacle? In? In? There we go. We're awake. Not with the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. Dwayne spoke about this. Imagine in heaven, Jesus walks into the real holy place, the court, the throne room, the mercy seat, the presence of God, manifest, glory of God, rainbow around the throne. And he's got blood. And I know this, they all knew, but it's like an angel said, hey, where'd you get that blood from? It's mine. Never happened before like that. Imagine walking with your own blood in a bowl, in a basin. All my blood here. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by the means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions that sin under the first covenant that those who are called, may receive the promise of eternal life. 
Andrew Murray says this, and I know we're doing a lot of reading, but stick with me. There is a unique place that is given to the blood from the beginning to the end of God's revelation of himself to man, as recorded in the Scriptures. We will see that there is no single scriptural idea from Genesis to Revelation more constantly and more prominently kept in view than that expressed by the words, the blood. Our inquiry, therefore, is what the Scriptures teach us about the blood. If you've ever been face-to-face with a demon, which I have been, with a demonic, which my dad has had thousands, not of demons, cast out thousands of demons, you mention the blood, you see what happens. For healing, for life, for the forgiveness of sins. There's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So blood in the Old Testament. Can we go through this very quickly? It started in Eden. Why did I say it started in Eden? What is the first thing they did after they sinned? They tried to make coverings for themselves. They tried a covering, a tone. We will fix it. It's the same today. All truth is objective. You know, if you're just a good person, I believe there's many ways to God. And No, not without blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. I don't care how you behave. I don't care what you do. I don't care how many ways you think there are to God. There is one way. His name is Jesus and only His blood, nothing else. Nothing else. So God was the first one who shed blood. He took an animal, something that He had already given to them. He took something that belonged to them, that was precious to them, and He killed it and covered them (laughs) in the Garden of Eden. So you have blood in Eden. With Abel, we've already talked about this. Jesus called Abel a prophet. You know that? Luke 11, he said Abel a prophet. He was the first prophet in the Bible. And Cain brings his grain. His grain is an offering of a sacrifice offering unto the Lord. What does Abel bring? The blood. He brings the firstborn of all his flock. See, Abel the prophet was not his prophetic utterances. Wasn't that? The prophet was he had an actual relationship with God. He knew somehow, I must bring blood. And he brought the blood. And it says that God, it pleased God, and he respected Abel's offering. God respected Abel because of blood. It was the first recorded act of worship, and he offered it freely. (laughs) Why? There can be no approach to God, no fellowship to God, nor can you walk with Him, nor can you find His favor, nor can you find His smile. Nothing without blood. Zero. What did crops and grain represent? What was the curse? You will work the ground by the sweat of your brow. Cain brings his self-righteousness. Look what I've done, God. Look at how hard I've worked. Look at what I've done. He said, that won't help you. <laughs> Noah, Genesis 6. You know that the flood was really like a type of baptism? We go through baptism in water. Very powerful. Encourage you to do it if you haven't. Don't question it. Don't over-intellectualize it. If you haven't been baptized in water, get baptized in water, like today or tomorrow. I'm serious. Find a Christian who understands, get baptized. They go, they would, you go down, it's identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I go down into the watery grave and I come out with new life. The earth in the flood went under fully immersed. 
And that terrible baptism cleansed the old sin, the sin that was on the earth. And they comes out with like a new earth. Hello. What's the first thing that Noah does? First thing, he builds an altar and sheds blood. First thing. No one told him to do it. How did he know? Well, the Bible says Enoch walked with God. You know what it says of Noah? Noah walked with God. He knew God. He knew him personally. He said, there must be blood. Abraham. Oh, we could go into this for a while. He was already righteous. He had already believed God by faith. He was already given righteousness by God because of his belief. But there was something Abraham still had to learn called substitutionary sacrifice. So God says, take your son. Think about this. Up Mount Moriah and kill him. Abraham somehow knew, he knew God, he knew that something's going to happen because he said to his servants, me and the lad will go off onto the mountain of worship and then we will come back. So maybe he thought, well, God will just raise him up. But why, why didn't that happen? You know, in our earthly mind, we're like, it sounds terrible, but why didn't Abraham just kill him and God raise him up? It would be such a perfect picture of, of Jesus. Like, why didn't he do it that way? Like, come on, Lord, didn't you see? Like, it would have been better. Why? Because Isaac still had self-life, and the grave would have held him fast. So he had to bring a ram. He said, I will give, I will spare your son. There must be blood, but don't worry, I won't spare mine. (laughs) I won't spare mine, but I'll spare yours. Because my son will come with life. And the life that he has is in his flesh, the word made flesh. It's in his blood, the eternal power of God against sickness, disease, authority, governments, business. Power in the blood. I won't spare my son, but I I will spare yours. You know what Moria means? Mount Moria. It's of two Hebrew words. It means, one means, part of it means to perceive. The other is the root word for Yahweh. It means to see like God sees. He says, I will take you up on the mountain. I will give you my sight for mankind. There must be blood. What about Moses and the Passover? We all know what happened there. Year two, not without blood. 400 years has passed. The son of promise, Isaac, has now become a nation. And that nation is called God's firstborn among the nations. And then Exodus 12, you shall take hyssop, you shall dip it in the blood of the, of the lamb, and you shall put it on the doorposts. We think of it as wiping, right? Like a, like a roller brush. No, it says you shall strike. It's the blood of sprinkling, which we'll get into maybe in the next coming weeks. And what did they use? Who knows? Say it out loud if you know. What did they use? What was the plant called? Hyssop. People are like saying it quietly, like I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> Someone on the screen is going, say hyssop, say hyssop. Come on, people. You know what hyssop was? It was a common weed found anywhere. Used for cleanse, some use it for mint. In other words, what? Faith is common, it's anywhere. It's not how big, it's a mustard seed. It was something, everyone has it. It wasn't the hyssop. We make it all about faith. It wasn't the hyssop, it was the blood. 
the angel passed over, he didn't say, what type of hyssop? Is it of the prime leaf or the choice leaf? No. He looked for the blood. Where's the blood? Oh, blood. Okay. Oh, blood. Okay. Blood. Not fa- Blood. Blood. Abraham learned a crazy, amazing truth. Life can only be obtained by the death of a substitute. I'll say that again. Life can only be obtained, God life, by the death of a substitute, by the blood of a life given in their place. (laughs) What happened 50 days after Passover? Do you know? Took them 40 days to get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, 10 days, comes back down the mountain, and he brings the law the institution of the first covenant. 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the lamb was slain. What happened 50 days after Jesus was slain? Pentecost. 50 days, 50 days. Because of blood. Oh, there's so much we could get into. (laughs) You know, after the blood was spilled, after the covenant was affirmed, on Mount Sinai, what's the very first thing God says? Oh, there's been blood. What's the very first thing he says? He says, make me a tabernacle so I can come and be with my people. Very first thing he says, make me a tabernacle so I can be with my people. But then everything had blood on it. Sprinkle this and sprinkle that and throw it on this and throw it on that because it was temporary. It wasn't the real. The real was in heaven. And for 1,500 years, that's what they did. But God so wanted to be with his people. He said, let's set this up. We need to, I want to be with my people. I want to speak to them. I want them to know my voice. I want them to know my presence. I want them to be able to come to my glory. I want them to know who they really are. Let, let's, <laughs> everything they did had blood. The birth of a child, they had to do stuff with blood. The consecration of a house, the consecration of feasts, festivals, all sorts. Blood, 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 blood. Why? Because in everything and in only and always and forever, the only way to have fellowship with God is through the shedding of blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Then Jesus, I mean, they have to bring this to a land. What did Jesus say concerning the blood? <laughs> well, he said a lot. Amen. I'm, just, I'm kidding. John 1 Verse 29 to 34, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist, and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, even though John was born physically first. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here the forerunner of Jesus Christ ascribes to Jesus a dual office, if if, if you could say it that way. What? Blood and power. The lamb, that's blood. The lamb, they're all new, Jewish, lamb. The lamb of God to be slain. His blood will save the world. 
What's the second? He will pour out the true Holy Spirit forever. A dual office. And John saw it. He said, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. In the Old Testament, to be cleansed from sin, leprosy in the Old Testament is physical, but in the New Testament, it represents sin. And you know what happened? They would, they would spray them with blood and do all these things, and, you know, after all the ceremonial cleansing of leprosy. But you know what they would do at the end? They would put blood, blood on their earlobe, hearing God, blood on their thumb, gifts, call, blood on their big toe, my walk with the Lord. And you know what they would do afterwards? They would put oil, anointing, the Holy Spirit upon that blood. Why? Because throughout Scripture, wherever the blood is applied, the Spirit follows. The cross, Pentecost. Passover, Sinai. The Spirit, someone said, you know, uh, what's his name? William J. Seymour. Azusa Street Revival. You know what he preached a lot? Was the Spirit chases where the blood has, has been understood where the blood has been applied. The Spirit looks for it because oil follows the blood. And we say, God, come. We pray, God, move. The blood. The Spirit will come if we understood the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood, and then the Spirit will move. The dual office, the shedding of blood, and then making us partakers of the power in that blood. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. So we will have to leave it there. We'll talk next week about the apostles. It comes really close to home when you start to see how the apostles saw it. You know why? Because they live in our era. They live in our, what's the word I'm looking, dispensation. And how they saw it, well, it's kind of a big deal. But we'll see, I'm going to read this to you, certain truths that we've seen so far just about the blood. The blood is the only means that can restore what sin has destroyed. Even the physical earth, friends. Creation groans for the sons of God to be made manifest. When earth was baptized in water with Noah, it came out, blood spilled on the earth. Man can only live in the purposes of God with his life within us, God life, by the death of another. A life for a life. A soul for a soul. It's the only way. Only way. And we see this all through the Old Testament. God has not given us any other means. Hear this. God has not given us any other means ever, ever, ever <laughs> of dealing with sin or saving the sinner ever without blood, never. Through every covenant in Scripture, there is no other means given by God. None, zero. Both victory for the sinner, that's one born with that self-life instead of God life, and also once they save, their victory over sin practically, God gives the same, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll end with this quote. The blood, I'm not sure if this will come up behind you. Can you listen to this? The blood must have the same place in our hearts that it has with God. 
From the beginning of God's dealings with man, yes, from before the foundation of the world, the heart of God Himself has rejoiced in that blood. Our hearts will never find rest nor salvation until we too learn to walk and glory in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. As anointing is to oil and gifts, blood is to glory, this nation needs the church to remember what the blood is, what the blood has done, what the blood has accomplished. You may think it's strange that you can apply the blood. You may think it's strange that you can pray, say, Lord, I'll put the blood of Jesus over my car. Why is that strange? In the Old Testament, they sprinkled everything with it. I mean, even people. You have to stand there and they have to spray you with blood. People say, oh, I don't like blood. Well, you wouldn't have done well in the Old Testament. I mean, they're just like in your face, on you, and they would say, the blood of the covenant given for you. Have we forgotten, as modern as the church is, about the power and the blood of Jesus Christ? <laughs> it's the central truth of the cross. It's the central truth of salvation. It's the central truth of communion. It's the central truth of all of it. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. It's power. It's life-giving power. So I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. I encourage you, go get old books written about the blood. Go read them. Derek Prince, Andrew Murray, John G. Lake, these old people, every one of them that walked with God understood the blood, the blood, the blood. Everyone, there wasn't a one that tried to get around it. They studied it, they learned about it, they applied it, they practiced it, they developed faith with it. It's not about the hyssop. God, give me more faith. No, God, give me revelation of the blood of Jesus. Can we stand? Next week, we'll do some ministry. You know, you can come anytime. <laughs> I encourage you at home, anytime. You know that blood was shed for shame? Shed was, it was shed specifically for shame. The blood was shed for sin, for sickness, for shame, for all manner of demons. For, the blood was shed. For, it's all under the blood. But what did it say in Exodus? Don't leave the blood in the basin. Imagine the lamb that was slain in Exodus in the Passover. Perfect spotless little lamb slain. They put the blood in a bowl. And then they're like, well, we've done it. We've done the sacrifice. The angel comes, but you didn't put the blood on the doorposts. Yeah, but we, the blood was shed. But you didn't appropriate it by faith. You didn't apply it. Many of us walk around with like a bowl of blood spiritually. Look at Jesus' blood. Isn't it so nice? <laughs> Isn't it so pretty? Isn't it so still alive? It never congeals. It's alive. It's in, and we walk around with it. And it's like the demon's like, yeah, but they don't know that they have to apply it. So I can pester them, push them, hurt them, make them sick, do whatever I want. 
They have the greatest weapon that has ever created in all the cosmos in before time in your hand. You're like, Bill, you can't touch me. I got the blood. He's like, yeah, but it's not on you. <laughs> we need to learn what it means to apply the blood of Jesus to our stuff, assets, to our children, to our homes, to our hearts, to our sight, to our ears. Anyway, Dad, can you come pray for us? Is that all right? My dad was actually one of the 24, one of the elders who went up that mountain with Moses in Exodus 24. <laughs> so. I went up that hill a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm so strong and fit. No, Father, we thank you for your word. And um, I just want to ask a simple prayer, Father, that help us to have understanding of the subject. Help us to see it the way you see it. And that can only happen as you open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, we ask you, open up the eyes of our hearts concerning this area. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, we ask. Yeah. Lord, captivate our hearts concerning the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Captivate our hearts, I pray. Let it be something that is of ourself, a self-effort. Let it be something that is born by your spirit within our hearts, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is a double-edged sword, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you're going to reveal and show. Thank you for what you're going to lay up inside of us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you.